You're listening to The Crossroad Podcast with Joey Willis. Through redefining effective leadership, The Crossroad Podcast explores what it means to live a life of intention and purpose. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of effective leadership and vibrant living. Welcome to episode 11, season three of the Crossroad Podcast. Today's episode is called Change and Be Changed, Power and Influence. We've been talking this season about what it looks like to build a culture. We all participate in different types of organizations, uh, marriages, softball teams, uh, businesses. How do we build an effective culture within those organizations? And as we get towards the end here, we're talking today about how to steward your influence, how to be a part of a team. And what I want you to do as much as you possibly can is to hear the words of this episode with the previous 10 in mind. Because a lot of what we're going to talk about today, just like many things in this realm, can be used for good or for ill. Uh, They can be used to help erect healthy cultures or dysfunctional ones. And so a lot of the idea of us stewarding our influence and us working together is predicated on a commitment to a shared vision. If we have two separate visions, if I'm pursuing one thing and you're pursuing something else, then our attempts at stewarding influence are going to further divide us. They're going to push and pull and and sometimes manipulate and downright abuse one another into those different spheres. But if we have a shared vision, then both of us are going to try to influence one another towards that shared vision. And it becomes very cyclical, very exponential, and a real powerful thing that can build culture. If you're in an office or in a marriage, for that matter, where people are generally like just happy and getting along, not that there's not conflict, but people are are resolving conflict and dealing with it with courage, those kinds of things are indicative of people who are shared who are committed to a shared vision, who have some mission in mind that they're willing to do everyday life with. It brings a certain amount of of joy. It alleviates a certain amount of pain to share in building something together. So if we're talking about culture and if we're talking about building a culture, we have to always keep in mind that we're building culture towards a shared mission. Anything short of that is going to be a perversion of uh, of the good this is all intended for. So as I said, we're going to talk about influence. We're going to talk about what it looks like to influence one another. Here at the Crossroad, we define leadership as influencing others to get there. So leadership is simply about influencing the people around you towards that shared vision. And by that definition, all of us are leaders. All of us have the ability to influence one another. And I would even say that all of us are influencing one another. If you are in a room, if you are a part of a team, the energy that you bring, the ideas that you share or don't share, influence the conversation, they influence the, the atmosphere, they influence the climate and the culture of the places that you are in. So you're stewarding influence whether you like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not. I think we often think about influence and certainly leadership as uh, role specific. It's a top down mentality, you know, 
we've got specific leaders. And uh, I was talking to somebody recently who described themselves as, I'm one of the leaders at this church, meaning, uh, you know, one of the top leaders in the hierarchy scheme. And it, it was a way to kind of sound humble. But, it, you know, in a, in a real way, we're all leaders in the church. We're all leaders in our organizations. We're all leaders in our families because all of us have the ability to influence one another. And so I think one of the greatest things that you can do within any organization you're a part of is to communicate that to the members, the participants of your organization, to communicate the power that they have within them, the responsibility that they have within them to steward influence towards that shared mission. So regardless of what your role is, regardless of how high or low you are on the company ladder, you are a person of influence. And it is how you steward your influence that's going to be a data point for developing and building culture. And that's the real heart of what it means to be a leader. And it's at the heart of what it really means to build culture. Now, as we're talking about this, I need to make a distinction here between the difference of influence versus control. Influence is about empowerment. It's about encouragement and equipping others to take ownership of their own character, their own commitment, their own vision. Control is about trying to force people to do the things that you want them to do. You're trying to force people to have your value set or force people to do the behaviors that you wish. It's a real difficult thing when we talk about influence. Kylie and I, we travel all, all over the country, all over the world doing these leadership trainings. And most of the time when we're hired, it's because the, the boss, the CEO of the company, is trying to figure out how to get his employees to do what he wants them to do. He's trying to figure out how to force them, how to funnel them into the action that he most wants them to do. What's real ironic about all of this and about building an effective culture and having a a workplace that is efficient is that the tighter you try to hold on to the reins, the worse it becomes. Sort of like raising a teenager. There's a certain amount of boundary setting that you need to do, but there's also a certain amount of trust and freedom that you need to give to the others in your organization. You know, I'm, I'm looking at an outline that, that I have written up here, and, and I'm looking at the word encouraging, and it makes me think that uh, it's just a matchup of in, the preposition, and courage, right? So encouraging is about helping people to step into courage. It is making it a little bit easier for people to be courageous, to give them the opportunity and the support structure that allows them to make risky and meaningful decisions. In the same sort of vein, you know, we talk about empowering and, and we talk about it as if it's this thing where we like give power to other people. It's not really something that we can do. Everyone has power. Everyone has influence. They have the ability to do these things. And so it's a misunderstanding of top-down hierarchical leadership to think that empowerment means handing over power to another person because they've got power. It's already there. It's already within them. What empowerment means is stepping aside and celebrating the power in another person, equating it with your own, acknowledging it, giving it its due, and giving it its place. And so these are the things that, that we can do to help step aside and let people steward their own influence towards the mission that we share together. And again, that doesn't mean that, that we just flippantly disregard all of the rules and all of the necessary boundaries that might be in place. But what we have to understand is that 
getting people to do what you want them to do is not the same thing as participating in a shared mission together. And eventually, the shadow side of getting people what you want them to do is going to show up. People aren't going to be as invested. They're not going to care as much. There may be a mutiny at some point because people don't want to be controlled. They want to be included. They don't want to be forced. They want to belong. They want to be key contributors. They don't want to be shackled to somebody else's ideas. They want their ideas to be a part of the mix, and they want the influence inside of them not to be stifled because of the influence of another, uh, not in submission to the influence of another, but to be awakened in conjunction, uh, in collaboration with the influence of the people around them. So when we talk about what it means to influence others, we have to understand this difference between what it looks like to steward influence and what it looks like to try to control things. And what's difficult with this is that so often we can trick ourselves. We're telling ourselves, like, I'm just trying to influence you in this direction when we're really trying to control. So this is why this uh, episode is number 11 in this season and why it's it's a little bit further down is because we've got to build these other mental models and these other pillars, these other frameworks uh, to make sure that, that we're pursuing truth as accurately and, and fervently as we can. So healthy leaders realize that they can't control other people. They just can't. Uh, but they do have the opportunity to steward influence. They can invite people to work towards something bigger than themselves, which, again, is what we're all after. And this will lead you know, to a shared vision, co-ownership of the mission, and an effective culture of self-governance. This is the kind of thing that will build the culture that you're, you're looking for. So when we talk about how to influence other people, what I also want us to hold in tension is the daily reality that you are not just stewarding your influence over other people, you're also stewarding other people's influence over you. So what that means, you know, we titled this episode, Change and Be Changed. You're constantly trying to use the gifts that are within you to move your organization towards that shared mission. But you're also constantly trying to learn and grow and adapt and be changed by the people in your organization who are doing the very same thing. So in one way, you have this active role of being a key contributor. In another way, you're sort of riding the wave of the people around you and you're learning and growing. And so, so much of our unhealthy cultures become this battleground. It's like a jousting match where we're all trying to influence towards our our different ends or, or even if we have the same end, we're all trying to be the person who influences everybody else so that we reach that in the way that we think is best. And what we what we often do, like we talked about in the episode of communication, is we fight very hard to be heard, but not to hear. And so what I want you to keep in mind is certainly how do I steward my own ability to influence others, but how do I at the very same time celebrate other people's ability to influence me? Because if we have a shared mission, there should be an element, a huge element, of trust. And it should foster the kind of place where we're greater than the sum of our parts because we're working together towards something shared. So how do you change and how do you allow yourself to be changed? Those two things are mutually inclusive in a meaningful organization. So the first thing we're going to do is talk through the five different types of influence. If we're talking about 
what it looks like to steward influence, to be a leader who influences others to get there. What are the kinds of influence? Uh, what does influence look like in our world? The first kind is positional influence. So positional influence is sort of, it's the most sought after type of influence but it's also the least effective way to influence others. It's the, when we think of influence, we think often of positional influence. Uh, and the real irony is that we do that to the detriment of all of the other ways that influence is happening, which are in the end actually much more effective. So positional influence is basically role-based influence. Uh, if a police officer pulls you over and says, gives you a, an order, you are much more likely to follow it than if I just show up behind your car and try to try to pull you over and tell you to give me your license and registration. It's because we have bestowed upon a police officer a certain amount of authority, a certain amount of influence. It, it's part of just like the social contract in, in our world. You know, the same sort of thing works in a teacher. You walk into a classroom and there's kind of this acceptance and understanding that it's the teacher's domain just because they're the teacher. And you could like them, they could be a bad teacher, you could dislike them, they could be a good teacher, they could not know what they're talking about, or they could be experts. But just by the fact that they're teachers, uh, and they have the ability to you know, send you to the principal's office, or to call on you, or to put you in timeout, or to reward you, um, just the fact that they're sort of the conductor of the parade, so to speak, um, there's, there's an influence. There, there's, a, there's a certain amount of authority that is bestowed upon them. So there's a lot of other examples of this. Parents have positional influence just because they're parents of, of their own kids should clarify um, coaches have have this type of influence and so sometimes your role oftentimes most times your role carries with it a certain undercurrent of influence so how do you steward that this you know again we get into the conversation about control versus influence there's a lot of times you'll see this with parents with coaches with police officers and with teachers that we, we try to, you know, one of the things that drove me crazy when I was a kid was when my parents would tell me to do something and I'd ask them why and they would just say, because I said so, which is a valid reason for me to have to do something because they are the parent. And, you know, 98% of the time I ended up doing the very thing that they were telling me to do. But it drove me crazy because it wasn't the most effective way to lead me, to influence me. If they were able to, and my parents did this plenty, but if they were able to explain to me what they were doing, if they were able to have a conversation about why this was better for me or why this was dangerous or um, why this was meaningful uh, or meaningless, that had much more of an inf of a impact on me than just saying because I said so. But the because I said so phrase comes out of this undercurrent of positional influence. Because of who a person is in terms of their role, we tend we are more likely to do what they say. And this is why so many people are so crazy about becoming leaders and becoming people who are in positions of power. Because we think once I'm in a position of power, people have to do what I say. And there's this kind of, there's a prominence that comes with what we view to be a, a more advanced role, to be higher up the ladder, to have more power. You can give more directive. You can get your own way a little bit more. And there's certainly some truth to that. And there's some reasons that people climb ladders and, and uh, there's reasons that people don't. So the heart of this is that positional influence is the most sought after way to influence in our world, but it's also the least effective. 
Second, we'll do second and third kind of at the same time. The, the second type of influence is coercive influence, and the third is reward influence. So coercive influence is when you have the perception that somebody can do harm to you or, or enact a negative consequence. And so in a way, Kylie has coercive influence over me. Because I know if I say something that's going to upset her, you know, she's going to get upset and it's going to, you know, make life difficult for me. It's going to make life harder and sadder and all of those types of things. Um, a parent can use coercive influence and say, you're going to get, you know, discipline if if you don't do this. You know, my, uh, my friends, I've talked about this on this podcast before, but they're raising their kids and they're trying to decide what are the different consequences that are appropriate for for their children. And consequences, the idea of consequences, the idea of punishments for your child is a is a sort of coercive influence. If you do this, something bad will happen. And again, like I said before, all of these types of influence can be good if used properly. And all of them can be bad if used improperly. So when, when my friend says, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to be grounded, that can help make a correlation between something negative and a thing that, that, might, that the kid doesn't want to do with a thing that they really like shouldn't do. And so it can be a way to, to learn. It can be a way to, to keep people out of danger to learn, and to learn the reality of, of boundaries and consequences, certainly with our, with our kids. So reward influence on the flip side is when I have the perception that somebody can give me a prize if I do something um, that, you know, that they want me to do, if I do something positive. So I would say, you know, kind of in some ways throughout this entire list of five types of influence. Coercive is the one we like the least and reward is the one we like the most. So it's, you know, the dentist has reward influence by giving you like a sucker uh, when you leave. I don't know if they still do that, but they did that when I when I was a kid at my dentist. Uh, when your teammates, when you get like subbed out of a soccer game and you're coming out and the, the team stands up and applauds for you, that, that's a reward influence mechanism. And, and you know if you do a good job, you're going to get the approval of your teammates. You know that if you uh, grin and bear it through your dentist appointment, you're going to get a sucker at the end. And, you know, parents, again, do this all the time. Like, you know, if you're good at this, we'll get you ice cream or um, we'll, we'll go to the park after school or, or whatever it might be. And we do this, uh, you know, in the workplaces, you could, you can get a raise, you can uh, get additional days off. There's usually like, this is why we have employee of the month and different types of things, because the the carrot out there sort of uh, changes our behavior. It can, it can influence us towards certain things. And so again, this, uh, this can be, can be used in a, in a really positive way, it's, you know, just a reward mechanism for for doing the right things. But it also can be can be used negatively. Uh, it can be used in a way where if we overuse it, um, we can certainly just like spoil people, and, and we can make them think that there's like a physical prize for every single thing that they do. Uh, or we can make people just like refuse to do things unless they uh, have a raise attached to it. Um, so reward influence is is a powerful way. So both coercive and reward influence are. These transactional types of things. It's like, hey, you do this, you'll get this. 
or you do this and you won't get this. And it, it's a kind of, it's a transactional thing, but it, it's more effective than the, because I said so positional influence way, because the, because I said so, there's not really at the core of it. There's not really anything in it for you. Maybe it's got an element of coercive influence, but it, it's also just the weight of, of the other person and being in, in that orbit. Coercive and, inf- and reward influence are these sort of direct transactional interactions. And sometimes that can be healthy. And again, as I said at the very beginning of this episode, and I can't say it enough, if we don't have a shared mission, if we don't trust one another, if we're not committed to truth and to stewarding our emotions and to not being the victims of our circumstances, if we're not focused on the best way for us to steward ourselves with humility and uh, to be stewarded with humility, then a lot of this stuff can become weaponized very quickly. But what I'm trying to do with these types of influences is just show you the realities of how people crash into one another and uh, you know the effect that that has. The fourth type of influence is called expert influence. And this comes from someone just demonstrating a level of expertise in a specific area. So, you know, I have a friend who who's very into motorcycles. So if I was interested in buying a motorcycle, I would definitely ask this friend about it. And if he were to say, well, this motorcycle is great and this motorcycle is garbage, that would very much influence my decision on what what kind of motorcycle I was buying because I view him as an expert. You know, we work at a, at a college and there are academic experts running around all over the place. And, and there's a there's a real weight, there's a real influence when they say something about philosophy or they say something about um, politics or, or economics or theater because of the hours of training and experience that they have gone through, it has a weight to it that someone who who hasn't spent that time doesn't have. So expert influence is, you know, it's something that you can gain by like just showing mastery or at least proficiency over a certain thing. But you can also lose expert influence really quickly by pretending to know um, things that you don't. And we have professors at the college where this is has been the case. They either, you know, pretend they have an answer or they give an answer that students find out later on was incorrect. And, and especially if they don't like own up to to the mistake when confronted with it, you can lose this expert influence because the view that you might have of them as an expert starts to deteriorate when it's proven uh, not not trustworthy or or not as accurate. Uh, But we certainly do this. You know, all of us have things that we're good at, things that we've spent time doing, things that we've invested in. People are, um, I've got a friend who's an expert in music. And anytime he just like starts talking about music, I I just pay more attention to what he has to say about music than most people because he started a a band. He was in, he started a record label actually and has spent a lot of time in that world. And so when he says some music we're listening to is good, uh, that has an impact on me, you know, even though it's such a subjective thing, but he, he is a musical expert. And so that is something that influences me. The last, the fifth type of influence we're going to talk about in this episode is what we call referent influence. Referent influence is the kind of influence that comes from just doing life well. It comes from doing life in a way that others want to emulate. 
so the real heart of this, and maybe this is the real key to building culture, the real linchpin of, of this whole exercise, is when we steward our own character well, it works a little bit like a like a stone in water. There's a ripple effect. People see that I'm if people see that I'm stewarding my character well, they're gonna want to do things uh, similar to the way that I do it. Sometimes we we often say oh, this person like, you know, is married and has a bunch of money. And and so I want to do like what they're doing. And that can be a dangerous misappropriation of this idea. Because what we do so often in our culture is we assume that people who are wealthy are people of good character, that they're, or even that they're smart. They must be in order to have found a way to make a bunch of money. Uh, and so we get ourselves trapped and stuck in a lot of situations because we end up following someone, you know, for this sort of false referent. Uh, character. But the reality, the reality is the reason we're taken in so often is because referent influence is the most powerful, the most effective way to influence people. Um, you know, politicians today, they're, they're, uh, you know, they talk about policy and they talk about how they have voted on things in the past and they talk about the issues that matter to them. But I think they've really honed in on this idea that, that they're characters and people are voting for them as characters. And, and not, not to say necessarily that, that they're false characters they're you know putting on a show, but I think that they realize they have to tell the story of themselves. That's what people resonate with most. But just as a thought exercise, think about the people in your life that have had the most influence over you. Think about your, your heroes, um, the people who have made the most lasting impact on your life. Most of you, if not all of you, I assume all of you actually, are thinking of someone who has shown good character. You could be your mom or your dad or a mentor or a coach who was kind to you but also firm or historical figures like Abraham Lincoln or Mother Teresa or Gandhi. Um, people who show service and courage and, and, and you know boldness in all types of different ways, shapes, and forms, strength and, and strength of character. Those are the types of things that uh, matter most to us. And, you know, what's really ironic about all of this, as I said, is referent power and a referent influence in a lot of ways is, uh, is kind of an antithesis of positional influence. Referent influence doesn't care what your position is. Um, there are, you know, multimillionaire jerks and there's multimillionaire people who are great and steward themselves well. There are people who are, are struggling financially or there are people who are not in leadership positions who are extraordinary people, sometimes the most extraordinary people that, that you have a ton to learn from. Uh, and there's also people who, who are struggling who are not good examples of how to do life well. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to talk about here is the idea that stewarding your personal character has an effect and has an influence on the people around you. So the way I steward my character matters first and foremost for me, for the life I'm trying to live. And it matters for um, the people closest to me, my wife, Kylie, uh, the team at the college that I work with, the students that I work most closely with. And then from there, it expands you know, Kylie shares stories with her friends about things I might say or do. The students that I work with share stories about what I say and do with other students. And so it creates this kind of ripple effect of, of influence and of uh, impact in people's lives. And so if we're talking about just trying to contain that in a specific organization, what we're really saying is that each of us are an atom that make up the molecule that is an organization. 
And we've got to do the best that we can to steward our own self well in order to have an impact on the people around us. And again, when we talk about being influenced, being changed by others, what we're talking about is seeing the goodness in them and letting it inspire us and motivate us towards this shared mission. You know, we talk about referent power. We can gain referent power by just becoming the best person that we can be, by stewarding our opportunities well, uh, by sharing in our struggles, by being humble but being honest, not false humility, true humility. Humility, by the way, is just seeing things as they actually are. It's not always pretending that you didn't do something when you really did. So referent influence is about how do I steward my own character well? And real quickly here at the end, I want to give you six different pillars that that kind of hold up our referent influence. And if you think of uh, of like a, a courthouse or, or an old like Roman forums structure, uh, the foundation is your values and the roof is your referent influence. And so what I want to talk about is pillars that, that connect the two that hold the structure in place. So the six pillars of referent influence are physical, financial, social, spiritual, mental, emotional, and family and team. So if you want to get real practical about it, in order to increase your ability to influence others, the best thing that you can do is invest in each of these pillars. And you know, to be clear here, physical pillar doesn't mean you're the most beautiful person in the world or that you dress with real expensive clothing. Financial pillar doesn't mean that you're rich. Mental emotional pillar doesn't mean that you're happy all the time. All of these pillars are about just how you steward that arena of life. So no matter what your financial situation is, you know, I have so many friends who work in nonprofits by choice, and they don't make a lot of money because they've chosen to be in a field that doesn't pay well. My parents grew up as, um, when I grew up, they were teachers. And, you know, they were not making six figures as teachers. And so how do we, how do we steward the money we have? Are we, you know, investing well? Are we giving our money? Are we, um, are we not wasting it, right? Are people seeing us um, not let our money control us, but, but seeing that we're doing our best to steward our money? And, and, you know, one of my favorites in, in terms of this is mental, emotional, like, I have found in my own life that the more Kylie and I talk about like our infertility, uh, the more I talk about the things that make me feel weak or embarrassed to mention, uh, the more effective I become, the the stronger my mental emotional pillar is. Just today, I, I got feedback from a student that basically said that seeing how vulnerable I am about my life's experiences has had a big impact on them. So that's what we're talking about. It's not about this like superficial perfection of these six areas of your life. It's just about stewardship of wherever you are. If you're having a bad day or a bad week or a bad year mentally and you need to you know, go to counseling and seek help, that is good stewardship. If you're not making as much money as you want, that that it's good stewardship. If you're not making as much money as you want, that, that doesn't matter. It's how you steward what is yours to steward. It's not about the getting of more. We're so obsessed with more in our culture. We think that more is a sign of better. Uh, but what you have is plenty. It's plenty opportunity to steward your character and your life well. So as we do our best to be people of referent influence, we you know come alongside one another 
We learn from one another. We see what each other are doing well. We have these conversations. We communicate. Uh, we share in these. We share truth together. We use these tools to help create this atmosphere of meaning in our organizations. And that's the real heart of building culture: is to be people who influence and are influenced, and to come together for a unified, shared mission. To be committed to something bigger than ourselves that all of us can participate in, something that none of us can do alone, but we can somehow do together. And so as you go out in your day and and think about what it's like to steward your influence and to steward the influence of others that's being presented to you, I I encourage you to just do the best you can. Nobody's perfect at this. The the real key isn't isn't, um, some standard of perfection. The real key is the courage to try and to do so, understand with clarity exactly what it is that you and your organization want out of life. Thank you for listening to the Crossroad Podcast. The world is out there waiting for you to become the best leader you can possibly be. We hope our conversations have helped. For more, please visit our website, thecrossroad.net.